the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, May the 8th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1541, Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto, he reached the Mississippi River. Today in 1846, the first major battle of the Mexican-American War was fought in Palo Alto, Texas. U.S. forces led by Zachary Taylor, they were able to beat back the Mexican forces. Today in 1915, Regret became the first Philly to win the Kentucky Derby. Today in 1945, President Harry S. Truman announced on the radio that Nazi Germany's forces had surrendered and that, quote, the flags of freedom fly all over Europe. Today in 1973, militant American Indians who had held the South Dakota hamlet of Wounded Knee for 10 weeks, they surrendered. Today in 1978, David Berkowitz, he pleaded guilty in a Brooklyn courtroom to murder, attempted murder, and assault in connection with the Son of Sam shootings. He had claimed six lives, terrified New Yorkers. Berkowitz was sentenced to six consecutive life prison terms. Today in 1984, the Soviet Union announced it would boycott the upcoming Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles. And today in 2003, the Senate unanimously endorsed adding to NATO seven former communist nations, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia. Well, I hope you had a good weekend. Thank you so much for joining me today. President Joe Biden was doing what he often does over the weekend. He was mocking the people of God, the God that whom he claims to serve in his devout religion. President Joe Biden joined a Democrat Party fad on Sunday, yesterday, mocking thoughts and prayers expressed in the wake of national tragedies, a couple of shootings over the weekend, as you probably heard. He said he was talking about such sentiments were not enough in the wake of the mass shooting in Texas. That was at, at that suburb of Dallas yesterday. Uh, the um, the It was at a, a shopping mall, and it was horrible, as expected. The shooter was shot and killed. In a statement, Biden also appeared to blame the Republican Party for the shooting. He said the president of the United States said, quote, too many families have empty chairs at their dinner tables. Republican members of Congress cannot continue to meet this epidemic with a shrug. And he tweeted, the president tweeted, quote, thoughts and prayers are not enough. He takes every opportunity to minimize Christianity. He may not he may do it knowingly or unknowingly. I don't know what his thought processes are, but I do know what he says, and I know what comes out of his mouth. It's unfortunate that we have that kind of leadership in America today, but we do. And he reaffirms that every opportunity he gets to politicize anything, 
from Christianity and prayers offered by devout Christian people in America for those who lost loved ones, and he politicizes it to make it a party issue. The Republicans... The Republicans are are to blame for all these deaths. The President of the United States is saying that at a time of loss when families are grieving. I don't know. You tell me. California Reparations Task Force formally made some recommend, uh, recommendations over the weekend. I, I've got to share this with you, particularly in light of what I want to talk about a little bit later this morning. The uh, uh, Reparations Task Force has been set up here a while back, and they've been discussing what to do to make atonement for slavery in California. The task force held their public meeting over the weekend in Oakland on Saturday. They voted on the final set of recommendations. So this is what's going to go to the leadership in uh, California and the state legislators. The nine-member panel called on the state to offer its black residents a formal apology in addition to payments. Reparations are not only morally justifiable, but they have the potential to address long-standing racial disparities and inequalities. That was uh, Representative Barbara Lee, a Democrat, of course, from California. She was at the meeting. She said the the meeting's recommendation uh, breaks payments down by types of historic discrimination. For instance, black residents affected by redlining by banks would receive $3,366 for each year. The interesting part of this is that the breakdown is that a person, a qualifying black person, can get under this recommendation to the legislature $1.2 million in reparations. They break it down in a bunch of different categories. As I said, the one, 3366 3, for each year they lived in California from the early 1930s to the late 1970s. And that would amount to the people in that category, would that would amount to $148,099. If you look at this, and some have with great uh, concern and even horror, California Reparations Panel what they're proposing will cost the state, most likely, $800 billion. However, yesterday, and I, I, I couldn't miss this, Reverend Tony Pierce, he took the microphone on, uh, on Saturday, not yesterday, but Saturday. He said, you know that numbers should be equivocal to what an acre was back then, an acre of, of ground was back then. He said, we were given 40, okay? We were given 40 acres, this pastor says. He said, you know what that number is? You keep trying to talk about it now, yet you research back to slavery and you say nothing about slavery, nothing, Reverend Pierce said. So the equivocal number from the 1860s for 40 acres to today is $200 million for each and every African American in California. $1.2 million? Oh, no, that's not enough. $200 million for each and every African American. California entered the Union in, what was it, 1820, I think? 
It was a free state. There was no slavery. That was brought up in this meeting, and the argument they made was, yeah, but they didn't make laws to that effect. It was just a fact that that's the way it was in California. There is a threat of racism in America today, but it's not the way it's presented by the left. The left are the most racist people in our culture today. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today and about a black man who understands and gets it right. And he doesn't need someone to give him $200 million, but he does have friends who have helped some of his family members, and for good reason, moral, upright, just reasons. Yet today they are dragging him down the street behind a pickup with a rope around him, figuratively speaking. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. That's the word of the Lord. I often mention some of the old songs that we used to sing in church. I grew up in church, as my wife did. We grew up in the same church, as a matter of fact. But we used to sing those songs, and I, I think I was, as a kid, you know, I was sitting in the pew, and I was passively kind of entertaining myself at one point in my life to, you know, through the service. But I don't know, I, I, I sang the songs and stuff, and, and I remember them to this day. I'm over 40 now, and I still remember those songs. And I mentioned it from time to time. I hope you don't get tired of hearing that, because it, those songs and the words of those songs shaped my life for good. I mean, they were based on God's word. Oftentimes they were had great amounts of scripture in the song. And one of the songs I remember was based on this scripture. I didn't know that as a kid, but I know it now. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. All the people in our church would sing that. You know, as a kid, I was in that environment. I don't know whether I was singing or not, but I was there. And all of that just became a part of, of me today. And I still remember those songs. I don't hear anyone singing them, but I and I'm not suggesting we go back to that, although they were pretty effective. Because even a kind of a kid like me that had a lot of distractions going on in his life, I mean, anything was a distraction for me in those days. But um, I have learned over my life that leaning on the everlasting arms is a good thing. And God is there for us. His arms are everlasting. And we can lean on God through the difficult times and through the good times. When, when things are going well and we're blessed. But regardless of the circumstances, God's arms are everlasting. And he's there for us. He never fails. Ever. He never has, he never will. That's what leaning on the everlasting arms is all about. No matter what the left throws at Clarence Thomas, he'll be remembered as one of the greatest, one of the brightest minds in U.S. history's Supreme Court justices. That's not just me saying that, I believe that. I've read. I've never met him, but I've read a lot of what he's written. 
I paid attention to what he said over the years. For a long time, he didn't say much, really. Now he talks a lot more, but he's brilliant. Under the current smears against him, though, is a story about love and sacrifice and provision that's not being told. And I'd like to tell you that story today. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it. It kind of obliterates the left's favorite abortion talking point. And it also shows you a man that doesn't need reparations. He's his own man in his own country, serving God and serving America in the way that it was intended. Not perfect, for sure. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us is without sin. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. But here's a man that he is showing us what it is that we often or used to talk about as moral integrity. It was Jesus who instructed us. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I like to turn on the light a little bit today. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, as you probably know. It was John Winthrop in a 1630 sermon, who first proclaimed about America, he said, we shall be, we weren't then, but he said, we shall be as a city upon a hill. He was drawing, of course, from the teaching of Jesus. Many years later, Abram Van Ingen, he published his book, was titled City on a Hill, A History of American Exceptionalism. In that book, he reviewed the rise of a nation founded on values and principles rooted in the words of Jesus and the principles of Scripture. Ronald Reagan was aware of that. He also was aware of Scripture. His pastor told me more than once that Ronald Reagan knew Jesus personally, and he was a regular attender at a very conservative Presbyterian church not far from the church I served in, in Los Angeles. America became the most blessed, free, prosperous nation in the history of the world. Reagan knew that. He saw that. He knew why it had become that. Reagan's former vice president, George H.W. Bush, somebody that I, the longer, the more I got to know him, not personally, but just as one of the bunch out here, one of us, the more I got to know him, the less I appreciated some of these positions, to be very, very honest with you, on a number of issues. We won't get into that today. But he had the, the good sense, when he became president for a term, to nominate Clarence Thomas to the United States Supreme Court. And then all hell broke loose because the chairman of the committee the nomin- that was looking at the, the, was looking at the nominations and deciding whether they were fit or not, 
to serve on the Supreme Court was chaired by then-Senator Joe Biden. His personal assault on Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas today is still discussed and shown as something that was a turning point, a pivotal point in kind of America's jurisprudence, but America's way in which we vetted nominees to the Supreme Court. The left has been out to get Thomas because of his vision of America, while claiming to want to make reparations because of people's black skin and some distant connection to slavery. It is so duplicitous. It is so misleading, the message of the left, the progressive, because there are, there are no fixed values. That's what we're seeing today in America, and we're seeing the result of policies made from that point of view, that worldview. The left has been out to get Thomas because of his vision for America. He has black skin, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. They say it does, but it doesn't. Black lives don't matter to the people who carry the biggest banners. It has to be a black life that believes the lie of the left. And they have to be all in on the progressive, so-called progressive. I'm trying not to use that word, although they use it all the time. But the progressive, far-left faction in America. If you're a black person and you're a conservative, you don't count. They are as racist as anybody has ever been in the history of this nation, and yet they are the ones that are crying racism, racism, we've got to fix this, and so on. They need to fix themselves because they are the problem. Many of us conservatives out here and Christians across America, we're not fighting racism. We're not racist. It takes someone on the left to point out the fact that someone has black skin before many of us even notice. We don't care. We really do judge them by the content of their character, just like we should be judged whatever the color of our skin happens to be. Someone needs to stand up and tell the truth and turn on the light, because that's where we are today doesn't matter to them that he is undoubtedly one of the most, if not the greatest, mind to ever sit on the Supreme Court. People on both sides of the political divide will say that. He's also a man of high morals and deep biblical convictions. Kylie Griswold wrote for The Federalist over the weekend. She said leftist ideologues in the corporate press can't stop themselves. She said since 1991, character assassination of Clarence Thomas failed to stick, They've twisted themselves in knots to paint the conservative Supreme Court justice as a moral stain. Their latest attack came in the form of a hit piece in ProPublica on Thursday about his family's close personal friend, this Harlan Crow. He's a multi-billionaire. He's white, of all things. And um, he helped with tuition for the Thomas's grandnephew, Mark Martin. The press is just going crazy with this. And it's been going on for a week or so. That's why I decided to talk about it today. Griswold explains the details of what happened and how the rich friend of Thomas sent payments directly to the schools to give Thomas's grandnephew an opportunity in life that he would not have had otherwise. That is the sin of this rich guy who happens to be a conservative and white 
and wanted to help Clarence Thomas's grandnephew, who otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to go to a conservative college, or probably any other. Harlan Crow is a generous multi-billionaire who helps lots of people. He's well known for that. Long story short, the Thomases didn't actually violate any ethical standards, and the left and the press very carefully skirt around that because they know he didn't, but they're trying to lynch him again. Joe Biden tried when he was nominated all those years ago, and he failed, and now here we are again trying to destroy this man because he won't buckle up and believe the right thing. He believes the Constitution is what it is. He doesn't believe it's living and changing and morphing and all plasticky and you can make it say whatever you want it to say. You can find an abortion in the in the Constitution and all that kind of thing. He doesn't believe that. He believes the Constitution was written by our founders after much prayer. That's well well documented. And that it what it says is what it means. But no, that's not good enough for the left. Griswold says the ProPublica is mad. <laughs> so it consulted unnamed experts who are also mad to drum up this fake controversy and drag a great American hero through another news cycle. How very predictable. I'd like to take a couple of minutes, though, to just talk to you a little bit about who is this grandnephew? Kind of what the story is behind that. It's predictable. The propaganda press is glossing over the details, contradicting their favorite narratives. And they're missing the real story. They don't want the real story. They don't want the truth. Today, we live in a world that the, the leftist worldview doesn't want the truth. They want to make up a narrative as they go along. It doesn't matter that yesterday's narrative conflicts conflicts with today's narrative. It doesn't matter because they don't seek the truth. They seek the ultimate end, and that is power for themselves. History proves that. Every time that people with progressive thoughts and ideas, relativism, cultural Marxism, Every time they've been in power, they've destroyed what they were supposed to be the caretakers of. In this case, the greatest nation in the history of the world. And they're in the process of destroying this nation. That is not God's will for America at this time. I don't know what the future may hold, but Scripture gives us some ideas about it, what it says and what it doesn't, what Scripture doesn't say about America. But I will tell you, it's not God's will that these guys destroy America in the way they're doing it because they're destroying the, the people, the kids in particular. And they've always been trying to destroy Clarence Thomas. Downplayed by ProPublica's sorry excuse for journalism are the unsensational facts that Clarence Thomas and his wife took in their six-year-old grandnephew to nurture and to raise him over 10 years ago. They wanted to help him until he reached adulthood. These circumstances were familiar to Clarence Thomas. He talked about it. He detailed that fact in his memoir. It's titled, My Grandfather's Son. The justice's own maternal grandfather raised him and his brother when his single mother could not do so. An upbringing that he credits with positively changing the course of his life.
Clarence Thomas was looking for ways to help his son. He didn't ask this man for the money. This man offered the money to help his grandnephew. Buried in the third to last paragraph of this article with ProPublica, they're the ones that are leading the charge against uh, against Clarence Thomas. The Biden administration, of course, are quoting bits and pieces from this article. But buried in the third to last paragraph of the article is an anecdote from Martin himself that at one point, Thomas made tangible personal sacrifices to pay for his grandnephew's private school himself. Clarence Thomas, as this boy says, Martin, describes it, he sold his most prized car to help pay the bill, the school bill, for great-nephew Martin. On top of that, the Thomas's close personal friends also cared enough about Martin to contribute meaningful to the boy's future. At its heart, this is really a story about love and sacrifice and provision, and it obliterates the left's favorite abortion talking point. That as soon as a baby is born, they say, we conservatives no longer care about his or her life. They say that all the time. Those shrieking women on The View say that every single day, I'm sure. And if not, they forget to. That is that is their mantra. But it's also the mantra of the President of the United States. It's the mantra of his administration. It's the mantra of the left. All those Christians and all those conservatives, all they care about is stopping abortion, taking away women's health care rights, and all of that. But once a baby is born, they don't care about them. No one has ever cared more for the underprivileged and those who are in need of help than Christians. I could go to war over that. Makes me so righteously indignant. This hom- this ad hominem attack on it seems to crop up everywhere. The left has shouted in response to conservative positions on abortion, adoption, foster care, debates over dumping more money into failing public schools, disagreements over police use of force and self-defense. Dispute over gun control proposals, talks about securing the border, discussions about disastrous government health care policies, and a whole bunch of more other things. Debates must be easy when you control the corporate media, the entertainment, the big tech. They can declare contested that uncontested that pro-lifers are morally bankrupt, when in fact they are the ones that are morally bankrupt. In the midst of the left's dark discourse, however, Thomas Thomas Clarence Thomas, the man, I don't know him, but I suppose those who know him know he isn't perfect. But he is, by the virtue of his life and what he has done and what he is doing in service to this country, he is that shining light that Winthrop was talking about, that Ronald Reagan was talking about, that all of us need in this nation. When ProPublica and the rest of the corporate media can daily ignore the, life, the life-giving work of pregnancy centers and faithful Christians and adoptive parents, pro bono litigators, homeless ministries, thriving classical schools, and other institutions simply by not covering them in their beloved press, they accidentally expose the pro-life posture of true conservatives in seeking to make a monster out of Clarence Thomas. Their smear fails in more ways than one. Clarence Thomas's candle 
is burning brightly. God bless him. Hey, thanks for being with me today. It's always a pleasure, always a privilege. Thank you for your support. We need it. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.